morning. Wonderful to be with you. It's so good to open the Word of God together, to ask Him to meet us here once again, that we might know Him, that we might be formed by Him into the likeness of Jesus. See if this works. There we go. Today is the first Sunday in Advent. It's actually the first Sunday of the church calendar year, as Sam was explaining. So Happy New Year. We are beginning a journey together. The uh, church Advent, the church calendar is not biblical, but it is a centuries-old tradition designed to form us in faith. And so that's why we say it's the first Sunday of Advent together. Advent, adventure, it's a beginning of a journey that we are on. So we've lit the candle and we are beginning a four-part series called Heavenly Hope in a Heavy World. Those four weeks will take us to Christmas when we celebrate the arrival of Jesus with us. And that fits beautifully with the messages that we've heard the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, Petra sharing with us about peace, shalom. We're still longing for the Prince of Peace, aren't we? Last week, Sam reminded us of the great promises of a Messiah, a king who will sit on David's throne, will bring heaven to our hurting and broken world. These are God's great salvation plans unfolding for us. We're in trouble, and God is moving to save us. If anything that I say this morning is helpful to you, I've made a handout, and it has all the slides on it, including um, the exercise, contemplative exercise that we'll do at the end. And as a bonus, I've included wonderful material from International Justice Mission on how to write your own lament. A lament is not complaining or whining. A lament is turning from broken circumstances to look back up to God. That's what a lament does. So biblical way of finding hope. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. So I will have those handouts afterwards. Petra will also have some. Take one home, hang it on your fridge, invite us to dinner. It will give me hope (laughs) when I see it there. Christmas coming is the 12-day season. It's not a day. It's a season of celebrating God coming to be with his people. How does he do that? By taking on human flesh coming to dwell with us, just like us. So heaven comes to earth in Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Immanuel, God with us. It's how he saves, coming to be with us. When heaven comes like that, it's heaven's hope coming to a broken world, a heavy world, a dark world. So Christmas is the second season, and Advent is the first season. Today, we step into Advent. Advent is a beginning. Something is coming, something is arriving, as we heard from the family reading. Something is coming that allows us to make a new beginning. 
Advent then is this four-week journey of facing darkness as we're preparing our hearts for the joy of receiving Jesus to come be with us, Emmanuel in the flesh. So Advent is the first season of the traditional church calendar, and it's a time of preparing our hearts to receive a gift. Now, like Lent before Easter, Resurrection Sunday, Holy Week, Advent is a darker, heavier time. We face the darkness in our world. We face the darkness in our own hearts. We reconnect deeply with brokenness that makes God coming to save us that much more meaningful. We really do need a savior. Now, I'm like you. I don't like facing the darkness. I don't like to be reminded that I'm a broken person. I like everything to be happy and light and comfortable and fun. But friends, if we want Christmas to be meaningful four weeks from now, then we must face the brokenness, the darkness, and the heaviness that makes that gift such a source of joy. Facing the darkness of Advent is the antidote, it's the opposite of a sentimental Christmas, just warm, fuzzy feelings. Just celebrating, celebrating, which is, I think, all of our culture knows right now. And facing the darkness of Advent is also the antidote to a merely commercial Christmas, where those Advent calendars full of toys, little toys are just the countdown to the big toy, right? And how long does that joy last? A couple of hours, maybe a day, right? And then the big letdown, which is why so many people don't like Christmas anymore. Well, I don't want that for us. I want us to have the real joy, the lasting joy, of a God who comes to be with us, who saves us by becoming like us and drawing near. And so to have that, we need to face the darkness of Advent a little bit, in a hopeful way, like we're gonna do today. One more time. There, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, there we go. Thank you for saving me. So we begin by facing the darkness in the world around us. The world really is broken. Last Sunday, Sam put up a map of the world. Do you remember that? And most of it was white, but much of it was also shaded in. And that was areas that were experiencing armed conflict. So my eyes right away caught Russia, which is so big, is still in conflict with Ukraine. A very serious, disturbing conflict that we've been praying for for months. Lord, help us. And then there was little tiny Israel, little tiny Palestine at war in Gaza. We've heard the bad news of the conflict starting again. We need to keep praying for this terrible, complex situation. I noticed two other things. The first was that North Africa was almost completely colored in. These are regional conflicts that we don't really pay too much attention to in the West, but they're very real and cause enormous amounts of suffering. And I, I felt the pain in my heart for that. And then my eyes jumped to Canada and the United States, which were shown in white, not colored in. Does that mean that there's no conflict here? No, it doesn't. We're in trouble too. At the very least, we are working to undo the harm 
caused to our indigenous peoples in the name of colonialism and often in the name of Christianity. The world is very broken here too. If that's not enough, we are in environmental crisis. The world is burning. The oceans are boiling and flooding. As a person with children and grandchildren, I'm very concerned about this. The suffering is already here and more suffering is to come. And then there is economic brokenness. I don't need to tell you about inflation and mortgage rates. Petra and I, experiencing profound housing insecurity here in Vancouver, despite earning a good middle-class income. More seriously, new Canadians and immigrants are leaving Canada now. Not because it's not a great place, it's a great place, because they can't afford it. This is a real concern. A country like Canada becoming too expensive for most people. If by God's grace you've been shielded from all of these, including the economic stress, there's of course health stress. You can hear it. <laughs> it's flu season, it's cold season, it's COVID season. And even if you don't have that, the longer term threats of things like cancer and mental health touch all the families around us, don't they? The world is broken. And Christmas is placed in the middle of the shortest darkest days of the year so that we see the light of Christ coming and shining. Did you notice it's raining? Yeah. The world is a heavy, dark place. <sighs> ah, okay, I just have to wait. That's a, be patient. More pressing than the darkness in the world around us is the darkness right here in my heart really burdensome, much closer to the root of the problem. I've been working as a follower of Jesus for decades now, and I can honestly say sanctification is happening. I am getting more like him. Thank you, Lord. But as this journey continues, I become more and more profoundly aware that the selfishness in me putting myself first, even when I'm not thinking about it, runs very, very deep. I am a broken person. I've got addictions up there, the things that we turn to for pleasure, the things we turn to as a relief from pain, the habits we wish we could break. Friends, to be human is to be addicted We've all got it. Some of those addictions, like drugs and alcohol, will destroy your life fairly quickly. Others, like smoking, sugar, caffeine, will destroy your life on a much longer scale. Some of these addictions, like pornography, or working too much, are quite hidden. Others, like gambling, very obvious, shameful, but the worst ones are the ones like overworking or shopping, which are actually affirmed by our society. We all have them. They're idols. They are things that we turn to instead of turning to God. 
I'm not pointing any fingers at you. I'm confessing I struggle with these things. I'm a very broken person. My life has broken relationships, broken promises, the regrets that go along with those. And even if you're doing really well and these are not you, in a broken world, we have loss, we have grief, we have pain. So I am very broken, very much in need of a savior, and today looking for the strength to face tomorrow with hope. And that brings us to our main passage today, the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter one. The context here is very dark. These are hard days for Israel, the people of God, just like the days of Isaiah that we heard before. Israel has been restored from exile in Babylon. They're living in the promised land and they are hanging on to the promises of the coming Messiah. But they are being brutally oppressed and taxed to death by the Roman Empire. It is hard to hear those promises then. Rome is determined to squeeze every last penny out of Israel. And if the Israelites should die in the process, too bad. We'll get other people to live here. So it's in the midst of that darkness, waiting for the Messiah to come, that we get the passage of Zechariah's song. Gabriel, the angel, has come to Zechariah, who is an old priest, with Elizabeth, his old wife, far too old to have a baby. And the angel Gabriel has also come to Mary, who is a young peasant girl, way too young to be having a baby. According to Gabriel, Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah, Mashiach Yeshua. Call him Jesus and he will reign on the throne of David forever. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a son whom they are to name John. We know him as John the Baptist who will go before the Messiah, preparing the way for people to believe. Mary believes, Gabriel, and Zechariah wonders thinks, doubts whether this can actually happen. He's a lot like me. When you're my age, it's easier to doubt things. When you're younger, faith comes easier. Anyway, Zachariah is, giving, is given nine months of quiet time to think about whether God's Messiah is actually coming. In the meantime, those nine months, Mary comes to visit and the three of them are the only people on the planet now who know that God's plans are unfolding. The Messiah is actually coming. They can put their hands on Mary's tummy and feel the baby. They can put their hands on Elizabeth's tummy and feel the baby. Joseph is gonna get in on this really soon, but right now they're the only ones in all of dark Israel who know that the light is coming. Mary goes home, Elizabeth has her baby, and Zechariah faithfully declares that his name is to be John. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he bursts forth with this wonderful prayer of praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to read it to you again. Praise be to the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. He is not far off. He's here. He is redeeming them. He is raising up for us a powerful king, a king of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he has promised through his holy prophets long ago. God keeps promises. 
this will be salvation from our enemies, salvation from the hand of all who hate us. God is showing mercy to our ancestors and remembering his holy covenant. He's remembering the oath that he swore to Abraham, which is to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And picks up his son and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. No problems with faith anymore, right? He can see it. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, not through the keeping of the law, not through being good, but by being made good by forgiveness because of the tender mercy of our God. This tender mercy is like the rising sun coming to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, then and us today. Let me highlight a couple of other verses. We've been told what God is doing. Here's what we're now able to do. We are enabled to serve him without fear, with hope, with peace, with strength, and our feet are guided from the darkness, the heaviness, the brokenness, from the shadow of death into the path of peace. Prince of Peace is coming to take us there. That is Zachariah's song. Heaven's hope coming to a heavy world. So what is hope? Well, very simply, hope is a feeling of positive expectation regarding the future. In general, things are gonna get better or at least work out and be okay. I wanna say that there are a number of levels of hope. The first is a very weak, wishful, shallow form of hope. I hope it stops raining. I hope to find my phone that I lost. That's not something you can put your trust in. It may happen, it may not. You may hear a politician say, we are hoping to address those issues. Well, again, that's not something you can put your trust in. It may happen, it may not. The hope that I'm talking about is a solid foundation. It's a grounds for certainty. And the most trustworthy thing, of course, is God. This certainty, this trust, this hope is something you can build on. It makes a difference. You can count on it. Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Hope in the Lord, and we find strength. Wonderful quote from Henry Nouwen for you here. When I remember that God loves me, I find a salvation, a living force that sustains me in the present and offers hope 
in the darkest of circumstances. A living force that sustains me in the present and brings hope for the future. How did that happen? How did he get there? When I remember that God loves me. So that brings us to how does hope work? Loss of hope, discouragement, it's never pleasant, but it happens to all of us, and it's quite disturbing. But that loss of hope, that sinking feeling from the heaviness, is always an opportunity to recenter our lives, to recenter our values, our priorities, and our worship, you could say worthship, the things that we're placing value on. It's an opportunity to recenter the life that we're living from the circumstances, which are dark and heavy and broken, to God, who is loving and faithful and trustworthy. So hard circumstances have this opportunity built into them to not focus on them, but to center our thoughts on God. We can choose to remember God's presence with us. We can choose to remember his faithful, loving care. We can choose to remember his chesed, covenant love, mercy. Thank you, Edith. We can remember these things. They were true yesterday, they are true today, and they will be true tomorrow. This is how we find hope. The future still might look really rough. This is not a formula for optimism. This is a formula for hope in spite of heavy, dark circumstances. Again, how does hope work? We shift our focus from changing circumstances to God's unchanging faithfulness. So it doesn't mean that things are going to go well. But it does mean that we're going to be given everything we need internally and eternally. Because Jesus is clinging to hope in Gethsemane just before he's handing his body over to the soldiers. And that's not going to go well. But yet he has hope. The Son of Man will rise again in three days. So what I'm saying is even if your circumstances are dark enough and heavy enough that it really does lead to the worst case scenario or death, it's still going to be okay. Why? Because God is faithful. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength because we're not alone, because God is good and strong and faithful. Now, I'm not making this up. This is not modern psychology. This is fully based on scripture. So I'll give you two verses, one from the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Old Testament is Lamentations 3. I remember my afflictions, the things that are going wrong, my pain, my adversity, my losses, and my soul is downcast within me. So discouragement and despair. But that's not all that's there. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So he's in dark circumstances, but he remembers something else. What else does he remember? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you see the move? From the dark circumstances, there's one other thing I remember, and this gives me hope, that God is loving, that God is faithful, that God is faithful. 
His compassions are new every morning. They were true, were true, were true. They will be true for me today. So my circumstances may be lousy, but God is faithful. The New Testament looks like this. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Okay, good. For he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Hmm. So clinging to hope is as simple as remembering that God is good, loving, and faithful. So hope is not based on things going well today or my optimistic belief that they'll probably get better tomorrow. No, that's not hope. Hope is not based on feelings because my circumstances go up and down and my feelings go up and down. I'm not against feelings, actually. Feelings are legitimate. We need to pay attention to them. Dallas Willard says, feelings make great servants, but terrible masters. So pay attention to your feelings. They help you to understand what's going on. But don't necessarily follow them. If they're taking you down a darker path, you want to lift your eyes and remember that God is faithful. Hope and doubt always coexist. It's like fear and courage, right? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage happens in the presence of fear. And so hope always happens in the presence of doubt when despair is the option. Hope is an ongoing struggle. It's a daily choice. Hope chooses to believe that God is with me. Here it is in a nutshell. Hope is a perspective on my life today based on trusting God's goodness. His presence, his love, and his faithfulness. So make no mistake, I'm not saying that hope works because you think God is great and high and holy and powerful and far off. That's not going to do it. And it's not going to work either if you think that God is loving and caring for other people. You've got to bring this together and say, this good, powerful, holy God loves me, sees me, knows me. And I know that we've all got reasons to doubt that because hard things have happened to you. And so when we can get to that place of believing that God is near here, loving and caring for me, that hope will come. And hope is a powerful life force. It gives us the strength to keep going. It really is this simple. If you look back on your past and on your present, and you think that God is here, God is with me, you will have hope. If you look back on your past and your present, and you're like, uh, maybe, I don't know, could be, then despair and discouragement come. Hope is this choice to believe in God's goodness and faithfulness. It's an interesting twist here. Hope actually gives us what we're wanting, longing for right now. So you may be longing for peace in Ukraine or peace in Gaza. You may be longing for restoration of a relationship. You may be longing for a better, a better medical diagnosis. 
The other thing that you are longing for is knowing that you're loved, that God is with you. And the interesting thing about the hope choice to believe that is you get what you want now in spite of the circumstances. Do you see it? Hope comes by the choice in spite of circumstances. So that brings us to the last slide. It's an exercise. You will recognize this from Petra two weeks ago. Then she did it, how to find peace in a conflicted circumstance. This is how to find hope in any dark and heavy circumstance. You'll recognize the steps. I've called it walking on the waves. This is when Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus, which is something human beings cannot do. I'm suggesting that this exercise is a perfect example of the power of faith. It allows us to do what human beings cannot normally do, which is peace in the midst of turmoil, or today, hope in the midst of heavy, dark circumstances. Here are the five steps, no huge surprises. The first is you think of the dark, heavy circumstance that you're in, economically, health, relationships, or praying for a global conflict. You think of that. Step number two, you imagine Jesus joining you in that place. So Jesus goes from being absent, nowhere to be seen, to right here, present with you. And you focus, you center on Jesus. His presence is the main thing, and the Heavy, dark circumstances now become the minor. You focus on Jesus, not the waves. You focus on the waves, you sink. You focus on Jesus, you can walk on water. Step number three, you notice what Jesus is feeling. And you notice what you are feeling. And then you notice what Jesus is feeling. You spend some time feeling things together, grieving that things are not the way they should be. Fourth step. Notice what Jesus is longing for. And notice what you are longing for in that situation. Usually they're the same, but if they're not, there's an opportunity for you to say, God, I want my longings to match yours. And the fifth and final step is the way that we leave the exercise. We leave this heavy situation in his hands. He is the Lord. He can carry this. And we take with us only that part of it which he has given us to do. So if it's a medical situation, you make an appointment for the doctor. If it's a relational situation, you maybe phone and offer forgiveness. And if it's Ukraine or Gaza, you commit to keep praying in hope, even when you can't see how this is going to work out. So we're going to do the exercise a couple of minutes. If you like... Just keep your eyes open, move through this at your own speed. If you like, close your eyes. I will walk us through it in a couple of minutes and we will turn to communion. Is that okay? Wonderful. You begin by thinking of the dark, discouraging situation. Name it. Now we imagine Jesus joining us there. He goes from not there to now fully present there. Focus on him there in the situation.
What is Jesus feeling? And what are you feeling? What is Jesus longing for? What are you longing for? Can you groan together with Jesus? And finally, we leave the situation in his hands. He carries this now with sovereign divine strength. And you, you carry that part of this that is yours to carry.